ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وعلى اله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن الا وانتم مسلمون يا ايها الناس اتقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحده وخلق منها زوجها وبث منهما رجالا كثيرا ونساء واتقوا الله الذي تساءلون به والارحام ان الله كان عليكم رقيبا يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم اعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما اما بعد فان اصدق الحديث كتاب الله سبحانه وتعالى وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار ثم اما بعد my dear brothers in the past 6 months or so the Calgary Muslim community has suffered from several deaths of our youth that died as a result of suicide. And there were many, many more attempts that took place that Alhamdulillah, 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 Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved them, but they still continue to struggle. And these events continue to arise and they continue to happen and they continue to take place but we don't happen to discuss them as a community. So I wanted to take this opportunity today to talk about suicide from a psychological, social, and community perspective. Starting off with some statistics that are very, very scary, but they bring things into perspective for us. If you look at the second leading cause of death between those, of those between the ages of 10 to 29, suicide is the second leading cause of death. It is three times higher amongst men than it is amongst women. So meaning men have a higher suicide rate than women do. If you look at individuals that report thinking about suicide in their lifetime, 12% of Canadians think about suicide in their lifetime. 4% actually plan it. 4% actually planet. So that's one out of every 25 people plan suicide. And then 3% actually attempt it. 3% actually attempt it. So that's about one out of every 33 people will attempt suicide. If you break that into the statistics of the masjid, that means that approximately one person has at least attempted and several have uh, planned and many, many more have thought about it. Now when you think about that, that is a very scary reality. But how often do we discuss it as a community? Now something that is related to a suicide and often gets conflated with it is self-harm. For every suicide that takes place, there are five times more people that are likely to harm themselves. And by self-harm, meaning that they cut themselves and they injure themselves intentionally. They injure themselves intentionally. And that, again, is something that is not talked about, but we will save that for another time. So what are signs that you look for when someone is suicidal? And this is something that I, I have to preface over here, that often when we talk about symptoms, when we talk about signs, people try to self-diagnose, or they try to diagnose those that they know immediately. 
What needs to be understood is that these signs are not taken in isolation, but they are grouped together. And when seen together, that means that there is reason for caution. There is reason for caution, and professional help should be sought at that time. So if you see someone that was social, and then they extremely withdraw from everyone and from everything. They no longer want to meet with their friends, they no longer want to meet with their family, they no longer partake in social activity. If they used to play sports, they, don't, they no longer play that. If they used to play you know, games, they no longer play that. They're completely withdrawn. They use language that says, I no longer have a purpose to my life. There's no meaning to my life. And this sort of language is very, very problematic, particularly when it is used regularly. So once in a while, some youth, they may feel as if they don't have purpose and they don't have meaning. That in of itself, you know, it's a, a pep talk that is needed. Okay, let's focus on your education. Let's try to get you a job. Let's try to get you busy and engaged. But if this is reoccurring language, especially uh, in a short time frame, then that is reason to be concerned. Number three is if there's increased substance abuse. And this is again something that perhaps we as a community we are in denial in just because we don't speak about it. But if you look at substance abuse such as alcohol, the usage of alcohol in our community is rapidly increasing. If you speak to social workers, you speak to those that attend Alcoholics uh, Anonymous meetings, you'll find that there's an increasing Muslim presence and population at these meetings. The usage of drugs, look at how many Muslims have died from fentanyl overdose and from cocaine overdose within the past five years particularly within the Northeast community, it's almost at the, 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 the level of, of an epidemic, meaning that the numbers are so high within our communities. So if you see an increased substance abuse, and this is not to say that usage of these substances is halal. By no means am I saying that it is halal. But I'm saying if someone was using it already and they increase the usage of those substances dramatically and drastically. So someone that used to drink once in a while, now they're constantly drinking and they are drunk all the time, then that is a sign for concern. Someone that was doing drugs once in a while, but now they need that high all the time. That is a major sign for concern. If someone says that they feel trapped in their situation, and again, this is not just, you know what, I failed an exam, I don't know what I'm going to do next, I feel trapped right now, but again, regular usage of this sort of language. Someone says that they feel hopeless, that there's no you know, positivity in their future, that there's no hope in life altogether, then this is sign for concern. If they feel that their existence and their presence is a burden upon their family and upon their friends, that I'm just being a burden upon them, you know, once I'm gone, they'll no longer have to deal with my problems and with my burden. Or they say that they're in unbearable pain, that the pain in my life is just too great, I can't bear it, anymore. These are all signs that a person may be contemplating suicide. They may be contemplating suicide. So not that they're suicidal, the difference being contemplating suicide meaning that they're just having thoughts. Suicidal being that they're on the verge of coming up with a plan. And if they do come up with a plan, then that is, no, that is when you have to have an intervention right there and right then. And you know, one of the difficult things to do is when you see someone in this situation, we as human beings, we're very shy, we're very timid. Let's not talk about it, let's not address it, 
I don't want to, you know, make things worse. But I want you to think about it. That embarrassment that you go through talking about it with this individual that you love and you care about and is a part of our community, is that worse? Or is them dying by suicide worse? And people always say, hindsight is twenty twenty. I wish I would have intervened. I wish I would have spoken to them. And that is why bravery and courage is required on behalf of the family and friends. That yes, having conversations is difficult. And sometimes you just need to ask them straight up, hey, are you having suicidal thoughts? And give them an opportunity to talk about it. Give them an opportunity to talk about it. And this leads us into, what are mistakes that families make when they find out that one of their children is suicidal? And this is such a, a big issue to deal with. Because the family is meant to be the main support system. But they end up driving the person even further away. So one of the mistakes that the family will make, they turn it about the family. Meaning that they will say, if people find out, what will they say about our family? What will people think about our family? It's going to tarnish our reputation. And that is one of the worst things that you can do, that rather than caring for that child, for your, for your youth, you're more concerned about the reputation of that family. Number two, is that they're shamed into silence. They're shamed into silence, meaning that they feel so much shame that they just don't talk about it. So that, that their child was taken to the hospital, they were institutionalized, and the child comes home and everyone's just walking on eggshells. Hey, let's not talk about it. No, that's not how this works. If your child is struggling, you need to talk to them. You need to help them. You need to support them. You need to be there for them. Number three, they don't seek help. So when your child is struggling and they need a psychologist, they need to see a psychiatrist, they're like, you know what? It'll just go away by itself. Or they'll take them to a psychologist once and they said, you know what? We tried it. It didn't work. Let's try something else. That's not how this works. And one of the things you have to realize is that a person in that situation, you can't rely upon them to seek help for themselves. They're dealing with their own internal struggles. They have enough to worry about they need you to be supportive for them to help them get the support that they need. And that is why to get them to make their own appointments, find their own psychologists, find their own support groups, that is not their responsibility. That is the responsibility of their family and friends and those that love and care for them. Another mistake that support systems make is that they start blaming them. So when you start hearing about their problems, you diminish their problems. Oh, that's it? That's the only problem you're having? Oh, that's nothing to worry about. That's not the language you're meant to use. You're meant to empathize with them and help them navigate through their problems and help them get the support that they need. Worse than that is you blame them. You start saying, how could you do this? Did you not think about us? And how that's how families turn it around and they make themselves the victims rather than the individual that desperately needs help. They think that this is just a phase. Or they probably watched something on TV, they probably saw something on social media, they're probably you know, discussing this with their friends, it's just a phase that is going to, to get over time. But that's not how this works. This is something that sticks with you, if not for your whole entire life, for a very, very long time. It is actually considered a traumatic event when someone experiences an attempted suicide. 
And then the last thing or the last mistake that people make is only seeking spiritual help. And this is something that needs to be addressed that as Muslims, we believe in holistic medicine. We believe in approaching our doctors and we believe in reciting Quran and doing Ruqya and using Zamzam and those sort of things as well. But if we only seek the spiritual means, this is problematic. Because yes, there are certain elements that spiritual means can cure. You talk to people about Qadr, you help them understand the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This can help people deal with circumstances in their lives that are difficult. But someone that is clinically depressed, someone that has a chemical imbalance in their brains, doing ruqya and making dua within of itself will not be enough. Will not be enough. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He gives us that general commandment in the Quran, فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ ذِكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ Ask the people of specialization, ask the people of knowledge if you do not know. So that specialized help should be sought. And those are some of the mistakes that are made. Now, the big issue that needs to be addressed and perhaps a, a myth in our community is that believers don't get depressed. If your iman is high, how could you ever feel depressed? This is something that people are told that if your iman is high enough, you're not going to feel depressed. Or if you are feeling depressed, go read some more Quran, go pray some more, and it'll take care of your depression. But if you look at the life of the Prophet ﷺ, you'll find that the exact opposite is supported through textual evidence. There is a year in the life of the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, which was known as Amul Huzun, the year of sorrow. The year that Khadija radiallahu anha passed away, the year that Abu Talib passed away, the year that the incident of Taif happened, this was considered the year of sorrow. And the Prophet ﷺ was seen crying. When you look at the death of his son Ibrahim, and the Prophet ﷺ began to cry, and the Sahaba, they were perplexed, O oh, Messenger of Allah, are you crying? And he says, That indeed it is a mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be able to cry and to express your emotion and to grieve. That is a mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he goes on to put things into perspective. He says, That the eyes will shed, shed, shed tears. And the heart will grieve and will feel pain, and will be upset. But the tongue should only say that which pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the tongue should only say that which pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In fact, you find many instances in the Quran that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the prophets and the righteous, that they had huzun when the mother of Musa she puts Musa in that casket and places him into that river. Eventually, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the sister of Musa to follow that box or to follow that crib. And the news came back that Musa had arrived safely. What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say at that time? So that we can bring some relief to the heart, to the mother of Musa. And she would no longer feel that pain and grief. 
So my dear brothers, to feel grief, to feel sorrow, to feel depressed at the onset of an incident, it's called being human. And whether your iman is high like that of a prophet, or it is low of someone that constantly commits major sins, incidents do not differentiate in terms of the pain that we feel in terms of sorrow and depression. So the next time someone says that they feel depressed or they feel anxious or that they feel pain, part of the solution is making dua. Part of the solution is making more salah. Part of the solution is reading more Quran. But also part of that solution is us being supportive towards them. Us finding them a therapist, a counselor, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, and whatever other support systems that they need. It has to be a holistic approach. And this is from the teachings of Islam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us tawfiq and understanding. Ameen. Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Qur'an al-Azim wa nafa'ni wa iyaakum bima fihi min al-ayati wa dhikr al-hakim aqulu qawli hadha wa astaghfirullah li wa lakum wa lisa'il al-Muslimin fastaghfiruhu innahu huwa al-ghafur al-Rahim. Alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala amma ba'd. So we spoke about this from a community and family perspective and I want to speak to you at an individual level, at an individual level. We've understood that yes, there's nothing wrong with experiencing problems and hardships and we will all experience calamities. But how do we strengthen ourselves psychologically and spiritually so that we minimize the impact of those incidents on our personal emotions and our psyche. Number one is fortifying our understanding of our aqidah, of what we actually believe about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he tells us very, very explicitly that Allahu arhamu bi'ibadihi min hadhihi biwaladiha. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves his slaves more than any one of our mothers loves us. And that is the reality we need to indoctrinate inside of our hearts. That anything that happens in our lives is a manifestation of that love. We may not understand it at that time, but either our sins are being forgiven, our ranks are being raised, Allah is increasing us in patience, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is increasing us uh, our levels in Jannah, or is teaching us a very valuable lesson that we can protect ourselves from in the future or someone that we love. So understanding our aqidah is very, very important. And that starts by understanding who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. That whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows to happen in our lives is a manifestation of love, mercy, and justice. It is a manifestation of love, mercy, and justice. And you have to understand that. And obviously divine wisdom is always there. Number two, understanding the concept of qadr. Understanding that qadr is the secret, divine destiny is the secret of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He has given us a little bit of understanding of. That we need to do the actions and the results are provided by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if you have taken the actions and the result is not what you like, then understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has something better in store for you. Understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has something better in store for you. 
Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah, he gives this beautiful example that I love so much. He says, imagine that you're receiving gifts in your hand, but the capacity in your hands is so limited. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to give you a greater gift. Does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not need to empty out your hands to give you that greater gift? What a beautiful example. Sometimes we get so attached to the things that we have, we don't allow room for greater things to come into our lives. Number three is increasing in our dhikr at all times. The Prophet wasallam calls dhikr a fortified castle. Meaning that shaitan cannot harm you, shaitan cannot penetrate you if you are fortified by this dhikr. So increase in your istighfar, increase in your tasbih, increase in your tahmid, increase in all of these things. And this includes the recitation of the Qur'an, this includes the making of dua, increase in all of these things together. And obviously every time has its active form of dhikr. So perhaps when you're riding in your car, you can't open up the Mus'af and read. But you can busy your tongue with istighfar and tasbih. You can make dua at that time. So look at what state and situation you're in and do what is appropriate at that time. Number four is not feeling shame in seeking help. If you remember at the beginning of this khutbah, we said that men are three times more likely to commit suicide. One of the theories, just one of the theories behind why that is, is that men are more reluctant to speak about their emotions and their thoughts and to seek help. And if that is truly the case, and we recognize this in ourselves, then this is something that we have to fight. That when we need help, we should not feel shy to seek it from the professionals and those that actually give it. And related to this very point, is that seeking professional help, particularly going to a counselor or a therapist. As of now, yes, it is still stigmatized. When people find out, they are very, very judgmental. But the problem is, if we keep silent about it, and if we're not supportive of one another about it, how do we ever eradicate the stigma? How do we ever get rid of that stigma? So the challenge is, is to seek that help when we need it, from the professionals, speak to those that we trust and allow them to support us, and those that are in supporting roles, learning to be empathetic instead of being judgmental. Because it could very easily be us on the other side of the equation. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protects our community, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increases our literacy, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes away from us that which causes us grief and pain, and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants us the strength to go on with the calamities that we face, and that He makes it easy for us. Allahumma ameen. Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ala ali Muhammad, kama sallayta ala Ibrahim wa ala ali Ibrahim, inna kahamidun majid. Wa barak ala Muhammadin wa ala ali Muhammad, kama barakta ala Ibrahim wa ala ali Ibrahim, inna kahamidun majid. Allahumma khfir lahayyana wa mayyitina, wa shahidina wa ghaibina, wa saghirina wa kabirina, wa dhakarina wa unthana, wa dha ahyayta ahada minna fahihi ala al-Islam, wa dha tawafayta ahada minna fatawafahu ala al-Iman. Allahumma aslih lana deenana alladhi hu ismatu amrina, wa aslih lana dunyana alladhi fiha ma'ashuna, wa aslih lana akhirat 
حياتنا التي إليها معذنا واجعل الحياة زيادة لنا في كل خير والموت راحة لنا من كل شر ربنا تنا في الدنيا حسنة وفي الآخرة حسنة وقنا عذاب النار وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم قم إلى صلاتكم يرحمكم الله